We've talked about a lot of good prospects near pick seven. Let's drop down farther in the draft. Some sleepers, some good late first round guys, some guys who could be in the second round that the Pacers could find value with. We'll talk about all of it today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we're diving into the draft, looking at players that are not as commonly talked about, whether that's because they're not mocked to go in the lottery, or because they're a second-round guy, or just because, in general, they haven't really hit this draft cycle hard that I've liked in this scouting process, either because... I've talked to them, I've met them, I've watched them play a lot. Something about their stats jumps off the screen if you're into the data part of the draft. Maybe they were great at the combine. A lot of reasons for these guys to pop. And uh, I did this last year, if you'll remember. Um, Talked a lot about Jalen Williams as a potential second-round steal. Then he went in the lottery and was uh, a fantastic player. So that was a little bit of a stretch in terms of... um, the stretches talked about Nikolai Jovic. I don't remember everybody that we got to last year on that show. Two years ago, we talked about Sharif Cooper and Ignas Brasdakis and a bunch of guys. Uh, but today, we'll do it again, including my biggest draft crush and some other guys that I like. And the way we do this is one first round projected guy and one second round projected guy that I like more than the drafts say or that I think could be better than the mocks. Suggest, and we'll start with the guy who worked out for the Pacers earlier today. For you listening, yesterday he worked out for the Pacers on the 6th, and that's G.G. Jackson from South Carolina. G.G. Jackson, if you look at his stats, you'd go, why are you enthused by this guy? He shot 41.9% on twos in college, 32.4% from three, so not the most efficient guy. Well, his background, his situation, a lot of stuff makes him... Appealing and able to kind of ascribe his stats to something else. So first of all, he was a guard in high school, right? He he grew kind of late. He has really good handle skills for a guy of his size, but he grew late. He's six nine. He's huge, and so wings of that size, I am very impressed by. Even if he cannot do the guard thing of creating at all, twenty seven assists, eighty six turnovers at South Carolina. That's certainly a negative indicator. But if you can handle it the way he can, if you can create your own shot the way he can, and he had a 31% usage rate with the Gamecocks. They asked him to do everything. I can look off of some poor true shooting and and some efficiency numbers when I think you can create your own shot and be six foot nine and defend really well because of that size. He's super athletic. He just screams high potential player to me. And his floor is certainly low. Right, he didn't even think the NBA. He, he talked to to the media after his Pacers workout, and he said he really knew the NBA was an option for him after they played Alabama. He went head to head with Brandon Miller, and Miller had forty something in that game. But in the first half, they went toe to toe. Right, Gigi Jackson was just as good, and that was kind of his first moment of that notice. Like he didn't even know that he might be NBA level good. Like he's still. From a maturity perspective, he even acknowledged that himself. And from maybe a rawness of skills perspective, on the outside of the NBA fringes. But I think his ceiling as a jumbo creator who can defend, he's huge, he's athletic. That is such a rare combination of skills for a wing to have. And I think any team 
should be willing to explore. Basically, a huge guard who can defend, potentially. That's an enormous thing. So I kind of tossed the stats out with him just because of the profile of player that he could be. Now, his, his low outcomes potentially atrocious that's why i think it's important that he has a defensive base it's not amazing but it's good enough that you go okay if you're just an athletic defender and you don't have to do anything with the ball ever that's still helpful enough that you can believe in the floor and if you don't believe in the ceiling at all you're not going to pick him high but if you think the floor is solid like i do then you look at the ceiling and go oh wow this guy could be really special. This could be a really good player. And then you might be more willing to pick him. So, yeah, his stats are just really weird, right? Free throw rate's just okay. True shooting percentage is terrible. Turnover rate's pretty high. The defensive stats are good. But, like, in general, a lot of the indicators you'd look at are weird. But then you see 31% usage, the size, his background. And you get enthused about what he potentially could be. Talking to him was a delight, too. His parents, uh, big supporters of him. But he said his dad's a pastor. So he had a lot of, like, ready-to-go interesting quotes <laughs> from his background that his dad's come up with or said to him or kind of used to encourage him through the process. So an endearing guy, which doesn't matter to, to Vans in this process necessarily. But uh, I think he's got a ton of potential. I think he's a really unique prospect because of his background, because of his skill set, because of what he was in college. And so even though he might not be, you know, like the, the a great player in the NBA, if the shot doesn't come around or he can't quite be the creator, I think the defensive upside, the size, and the background makes him appealing. Currently, Tankathon's little, like, they throw together a bunch of mocks and just average him. Has him 22 in the first round. Pacers own 26 and 29. If you'll recall, definitely not a candidate to go in the lottery uh, to me. I might pick him there. I might put him in my top 14. I don't think in reality he's that high. I haven't talked to anyone in the league who has him that high. Uh, I talked to one scout who does, but not anyone at, uh, working for a team. But um, I, I'm really enthused by what he could be. And he was the guy I wanted to lead with both because of his high-end outcomes and because he worked out for the Pacers and spoke to the media literally uh, today, yesterday, for you listening. The second-round guy for this segment used to be mocked as a late first guy, now has kind of fallen a lot, not a lot, but fallen a little bit in this process. A guy who I picked in the Lockdown Mock Draft has also worked out for the Pacers, stayed in the draft after some talk that maybe he wouldn't. That's Andre Jackson Jr. from UConn, who, again, is if you if you jump into the stats, you'll go, why is this guy projected to even be picked? 6.7 points per game, 28% from three. But unlike Gigi Jackson, he made his twos 54% this past season, and he has a ton of other unique skills that Gigi Jackson doesn't have, one of them being just general, really high IQ player. Like Andre Jackson, if you saw if you watched him in the tournament at all, I talked about him on a show during the tournament of guys that have stood out to me in the tournament. I talked about him around the draft combine. I picked him in the lockdown mock draft because his cutting is really good and his passing for his size is phenomenal. Six foot six wing guard size, but he's not a point guard, so you don't expect him to be a good passer. Insanely good assist percentage for the UConn Huskies this past season. He paired it with good defensive stats. Now, he turned it over a lot. That's a definitely a knock on him. In fact, some people might be scared by that alone, and there's a reason he's not mocked to go higher, despite being a really heady player, despite being able to read the game really well. Five assists per game at his size and not a point guard is so, so impressive to me, even if you're not an efficient player. That's just a unique build. He's a big part of UConn winning this championship. The passing, the, the, the spacing, the timing, all that stuff just really impressed me during the tournament. And I, I think that's the kind of player that any team could, could turn into a successful guy. Like a lot of the players that, 
you know, I end up being higher on than the consensus. It's generally because I think they're a high IQ player. Grant Williams, Brandon Clark, chief among them two years ago. Uh, I talked about that a lot, but uh, Andre Jackson sort of reminds me of them in that they were just making the right plays all the time. They were in the right spots, and they added more skill than he does at the time of their draft. There's a reason some people said they should go in the lottery. No one's saying that with Andre Jackson, but I would pick him in the first round, I think, even though a lot of mocks I've seen or a lot of ranking places have him ranked as a second rounder or at least an early second rounder. I think I would pick Andre Jackson Jr. in the first round. And I think that you know his sort of skill set being unique, especially at his size, will provide value in the NBA. And he can defend. Like That's that's a big thing for unique players. You can be a unique player, but if you can't defend, then your uniqueness could actually be a downside. But I think he can be on the floor and be this jumbo creating kind of wing type, even though he's not really a scorer or a shooter. There's still ways he can be on the floor. Next up... Another guy from J-Dub School, Santa Clara, who could go in the first round that I absolutely love. I probably gave away who it was, but we'll get to it in the second segment. And a second rounder who knows Andrew Nemhard well and can really freaking shoot it. We'll jump into those guys in the second segment. Before we do that, though, I want to take a short little break here to talk to you guys about the Game Time apps. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful, and Game Time is the fast and easy way. To buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. They have flash deals and last-minute tickets at game time. It's easy to find them and buy them for whatever you want to do. The two-tap buy and you're good. They have images of the seat views right on their app and their lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection makes you know your money's going toward a good place. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section in a row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Don't forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. So download the game time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase. I have used the game time app myself to buy tickets to a New York Liberty game. You should too. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Lockdown Heat or Lockdown Nuggets NBA Finals coming right up Wednesday night. Who will take the series lead as we shift to Miami? What a fascinating finals. I cannot wait to see what happens in Game 3. How does Santa Clara keep doing it? They keep turning these guys out who are just draft darlings to me. J-Dub last year, obviously, he turned out to be the second-best rookie, and saying he could have gone in the second round was really stupid because he won the lottery and it was amazing. This year, it's Brandon. And look, I'm almost positive his last name is pronounced Pajemski. I've watched enough of his games to get that feel. I've also watched enough of his games to hear announcers pronounce it like Pajetsky, like the thing you use on water, and Pachevsky, which sounds... Different. I think it's Pajemski. Uh, I watched him at the Combine, and I think it's Pajemski. Either way, how how you pronounce it or not, he went to U of I uh, in the Big Ten his first year in college and transferred to Santa Clara. And if you are a stats guy, this is going to be one of your faves. I mean, his abilities are just like, oh, my goodness. He's got decent athleticism, which already stands out for a guy who is good with the ball. But this is a guard we're talking about, 6'5", 6'6", he can play on the wing, uh, who at Santa Clara this past season, 51.3% on twos, 44% on threes, and he took 185 of them, 77% on free throws, so you buy the shooting, almost nine rebounds a game, 
almost four assists per game and only 2.3 turnovers. Good steal numbers, nearly 20 points a game on ridiculous efficiency. So yeah, it's the, it's the WCC conference, but 60% true shooting on 25.6% usage. Great steal rate, decent block rate, crazy high assist rate, good enough free throw rate to believe in his ability to get to the line. I mean, statistically, that is like a wow, wow, wow level of player. And if you actually watch him, it's even more impressive. He's a lefty. He's got this smooth little game. He can shoot it from anywhere. His passing is impressive for you know a player like uh, of his type. He's just really, really fascinating. A guy that I've been Really surprised at the lack of love that he's gotten in this process. Maybe it's because it's like his position's kind of ambiguous. Like, is he a one? Is is he a two? Is he a three? It's hard to say at his size. I think he measured under 6'5 without shoes at the combine. So probably like a two-guard type. But it's rare that a two-guard or even a one would be as good on the glass as him. It's rare, that a, it's rare that a wing would be as good of a passer as him. He's still a good scorer. He can really shoot it. And the defense holds its own. Like, I can't believe this guy It would be a, a late first level of player. Tankathon, if you click on a player's profile, they do a strengths and weaknesses thing just based on stats, right? Is this above norm for a prospect below norm? And how much? And they put like a number of pluses in green and a number of minuses in red. You know, you can click on it. I'm describing too much. He has so many stat strengths that the box is extended down past the, the comps on the right. And he only has one stat weakness. And it's his wingspan. It's not even an actual thing that he does in the game. And yeah, you want longer wingspan. That's not to, you know, he barely has a wingspan above his height, 6'5", wingspan on basically a 6'5 player. But he is just a, a darling prospect for so many reasons where, you know, no matter what your indicator is, per game stats, advanced stats, watching the film, uh, athletic numbers, like you go, wow, you know, he can do a lot more than I knew or than I thought. And he just has such a smooth game when you watch him too. I don't know where he's going to end up being picked, but I already can tell he's going to be one of my favorite guys in this draft cycle to track and, and see where he ends up because he had so many big games for Santa Clara too. Like he only scored below 10 points, I think three times the whole season this past year and, and was asked to do kind of a lot for them. So, um, you know, only one year of like really high level success, but every indicator is just that, you know, he's got a good game. He can be a shooter if that's what he's asked to do. He can create a little bit if that's what he's asked to do. He's got a nose for the rebounds. I mean, I feel like I'm repeating myself over and over, but I, I'm trying to sell you on how good Brandon Pajemski, oh, I'm glad I wrote all the pronunciations down that I've heard in games. Pajemski could be in the pros because I think he's going to be a good, good player. And if he's on the board for the Pacers, even in the late 20s, they should, I would consider him. I would consider him probably starting as high as like 13 or 14. Uh, the, this draft is confusing for me. This isn't uh, this isn't the purpose of the show, but I'm having a lot of trouble ranking guys this year. And I'm not as high on the draft, I feel like, as a lot of people are. And I'm not a scout, so don't listen to me at all. This is just my opinion. But uh, I found that to be very interesting. The more I've gotten into it, the more I've been kind of you know, rubbing my head and trying to figure out where to rank these guys and who really stands out. And guys like Pajemski, who just like so solid at so many things, really stand out to me. And he's young. He's only 20 at the moment. So uh, we'll see where he lands. He's a little skinnier, but I think he's going to be a good pro given his background. The second round guy we'll get to here, firmly a second round guy, unlike the first one. I kind of cheat with Andre Jackson, who some mocks have in the first round. This one I've only seen in the second round everywhere. And that's Julian Strother. Andrew Nemhard's teammate for a few years at Gonzaga also has worked out for the Pacers uh, already. 
the the thing that stands out first of all is he's six seven and can shoot <laughs> done that's the whole sales pitch right nba teams want that the pacers want that that's it um playing with nembard is of course a nice bonus he knows the team he swatched them because of drew but what looking at his gonzaga stats alone he went from a 32% three-point shooter on 28 attempts to a 36.5% guy on 150 attempts to a 41% guy on 200 attempts. Really ironed out the shot and got it down without sacrificing his inside the arc game too much while adding better passing. He's slightly at, like he's basically an average assist to turnover guy, but for just a giant wing who's decent on the glass, can shoot, and can certainly defend, that's a really good basis for. You know, a pick in the second round of just like, okay, if this is our 15th guy as a rookie, maybe he grows into something. But, oh, maybe you're a 3 and D prospect that we can steal late. I mean, a three-point attempt rate over 50% in college is impressive. And that is paired with a true shooting percentage over 60%, a decent free throw rate, a really low turnover rate below 10%. His defensive stats don't fly off the page. But when you watch him at Gonzaga, he's staying in front of guys. He's in their system. And... They, they're not conservative, I wouldn't say, under Mark View, but it's not like they're gambling for steals and blocks all the times. And he's playing with other NBA talent, right? That those Gonzaga systems have turned out, turned out, excuse me, some good players, as the Pacers know very well by picking Andrew Nemhard last year. Uh, talking to him when he worked out for the Pacers, you know, seems like a good kid. Uh, and the Pacers love, and this is something Kevin Pritchard's talked about before, guys who get better every single year. Right, that stands out to them as like this guy is going to put in the work. They're going to iron out certain skills or improve certain skills, and they love the game. They love to actually work on their craft and improve. Like those little intangibles are valuable to the Pacers as they kind of look through guys. And Strother certainly got better as a player, but also got better at like modern wing stuff, stuff that guys at his size should be good at. So 15 and six, six foot seven, 41 percent from deep. I mean. I find it hard to find like a, a hole in his game. You know, if the shot's just not a thing in the pros, maybe that's a problem. And he's not going to be a creator at all. That's the biggest hole in his game, right? Negative assist to turnover. I already talked about that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I think he's a good player. I think he can stay in front of guys in the shooting is really the impressive thing that makes me think he will for sure be drafted. Even Like sometimes with these guys who are in the second round in most mock drafts, like maybe they could fall out. I think he's for sure drafted. And if a if team picked him at 30 or 29 or something, I would not be surprised because picking a 6'7 guy who hit 41% of his three seems like a safe bet that they'll at least give you something, something in the pros. Two more to go. I did a lot of wings for this, and we've got two more wings to go. One who is good at the combine and has good stats, and I think is sneaking under the radar, maybe even undrafted in some boards, which is nuts to me. And another one who you've probably heard of but haven't heard a lot about. We'll close out today's show with two more prospects. Welcome back in here to Locked On Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, jump on over to Locked On Raptors and hear about their coaching search. They're the last team left in the hunt for the coaching search. Thanks for listening to Locked On Pacers every day. Later this week, we'll be talking about uh, free agents at the shooting guard position with Tyler Smith. That will be tomorrow, Friday. Uh, Howard Beck's going to join us. We're going to talk about stars who could be on the move this summer. Could the Pacers be involved in any of that? Does it even make sense? in their current position to be doing all that. Fun to talk with Howard Beck. As usual, he has been awesome in his now two times appearing on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Let's finish up today's show talking about two more prospects that I'm intrigued by and think could be good. And maybe I'm just all in on the wings this year. Maybe there's just a lot of wings this year. Maybe I'm tantalized by the fact that that's the position I feel like most teams should just be drafting and trying to get more depth at if you've been watching this playoffs. But two more wings, why not? Uh, the Guard wings are more of the guys I focused on today. But either way, first up, 
mock to the Pacers on Tankathon. Tankathon, not really like putting together a mock draft, but either way, Colby Jones from Xavier, late first guy. He's older, right? He's already 21. Uh, he went to school for three years with the Musketeers, but you know, again, let's start with the stats, right? A lot of guys I end up higher on it's because their statistical projection looks very good. His last season at Xavier, Colby Jones, 56% on twos. That's crazy good. 38% on threes on 120 attempts. Free throw percentage, not awesome, right? Maybe that's an indicator that his shooting isn't awesome. Good rebounding number, 7.3 per game his second year there. It actually dropped the next year. 4.4 assists, low turnovers. Not as good of a defender as some of the guys we've talked about earlier in this exact episode, but still good steal and block rates, right? The turnover percentage is pretty high, but 58% true shooting with a good free throw rate with a decent three-point attempt rate, his usage level, and finishing from basically everywhere. Like his shot chart is really impressive in a way that sometimes isn't the case for these guys that, uh, uh, that you know, uh, grow a little bit or have good two-point percentage just because they get all the way to the rim or whatever it may be. Like He's a really varied player. He's really impressive to me uh, because of his kind of wide-ranging skills. It seems like he could do kind of a lot of stuff in terms of being a finisher, putting on the floor, creating for his teammates a little bit. Again, assist percentage reflective of like a point guard almost, basically. Uh, I think that's a really kind of impressive kind of player, and I'm surprised that he's not projected a little higher in a lot of places just because if you can do all of that like your statistical projections are are awesome and obviously that's not everything but his game looks good and again he's scoring from everywhere if you, it's funny i use a cbb analytics for shot charts he's red everywhere but 68 percent at the rim uh, on 119 attempts in the paint area right outside of the rim but in the paint right so four feet and out in the paint 53 that's like TJ Warren-esque for a whole season. 57 for 108. Mid-range specifically, 24 for 61, just shy of 40%. 4% above college league average. 41.3% on above the break threes. The corner threes absolutely killed him because everywhere else, I mean, and I'm not kidding, everywhere else, he looks like a really solid finisher who can get to that shot himself. It's not like he's reliant on teammates to create it for him. He's got the size to be a defender. I just am pretty impressed uh, by his abilities and having, you know, above average uh, efficiency numbers, given the way that he kind of creates those shots, I think is impressive. So maybe the three is not necessarily something that projects, right? Because of the free throw percentage being a little down. And the first two seasons he had at Xavier, he wasn't a good shooter, right? 34% for his whole career there. But figuring it out in the final year, being a really good finisher inside the arc, having some self-creation abilities, like that's a pretty appealing prospect to me, especially a guy that if he's available late in the first round, he might be willing to take a flyer on. And I think you'd call him more guard than wing given his skill set and what his size actually looks like it is but he's a pretty appealing player to me and my few watches of Xavier and I haven't watched Xavier for him they've just been like a team that's popped up in the in this process as I've watched other guys but good player uh, that I'm looking forward to seeing more of and seeing where he can go like he's just kind of a low weaknesses dude and if you can finish at the rim and end up being a shooter like that's gonna make you valuable at the pro level so he's one that I'm surprised I actually haven't heard more buzz out just from a statistical standpoint only. Like a lot of times when guys are like late climbers in the draft process or like get a lot of buzz, especially online. I don't even know about what teams are talking about with some of these guys. But especially online, it's because like you get to their statistical profile and you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know what? What? How did everybody miss this guy? He's so fantastic. Well, Colby Jones seems like one that to me at some point in this process, same with Pachemski, although it's already kind of happened for him. Um, we'll get a lot more buzz just because 
of that kind of stuff. So the three late first for you to remember, Brandon Bajemski from Santa Clara, Colby Jones from Xavier, and Gigi Jackson are my three close to lottery-level guys in this draft class. Uh, I think two of them I'm going to probably end up in my top 14. I'm not as sure Colby Jones will end up there. We'll see, though. I got to get I, I got to watch more players to fully rank these guys. And again, I'm having a ton of trouble with it. But if I was going to do it right now, I'd have to think really hard about where all of those guys end up for me, uh, you know, the back end of the lottery, like after the the common top eight or nine is really in flux. And even kind of for me, that, that tier's kind of hard and tricky. Let's finish with a second round guy who, again, there's some numbers stuff involved here. But the reason I know who this guy is is because his draft combine was really good. Ben Shepard from Belmont at the draft combine. He was one of the best scorers there was. He really made a name for himself uh, at the combine. I can't remember, but I want to say he was one of the guys who actually got like called up to the combine who wasn't initially there first. And, you know, some there's been written reports about this, but like I forget who where this started, but he got like first oh John Wasserman from BR, yeah. He was getting like first round buzz after the combine. He had twenty five points in the final scrimmage. If you go to Tankathon and just look through their aggregate mock draft, Shepard's not even listed. He's not even a guy in their top fifty. So uh, he is one that I think you know, very interestingly could end up going a lot higher than maybe you've thought of if you haven't heard of him or don't really know. Oh, he's at the 52 now on Tankathon. Either way, he was undrafted before. So who's Ben Shepard? Well, four years at Belmont. That's maybe why you haven't heard of him. The Ohio Valley Conference, then the Missouri Valley Conference, which is funny that those exist uh, just by name. This past season at Belmont, 41.5% from three on about 200 attempts, 52% on twos, largely self-created, Good assist numbers, jumped him up from very low assist numbers early in his college career, over five rebounds a game, uh, and good defense numbers as well. So similar to a lot of the reasons to like a lot of these prospects, good efficiency, decent enough free throw rate, great three-point attempt rate, uh, good defensive indicators, low turnovers, and this is on crazy high usage, 28%. His final season at Belmont. I was about to say his final season as a blank, but I actually don't know what Belmont. Ah, the Bruins. I did know that. Uh, but the combine is what really shot him up. But you know, being this wing size dude, he's six six, um, who can be that level of shooter and score from everywhere, and is not a terrible defender. Yeah, his conference might not be that impressive, and he's definitely older because he went four years. I think he's twenty two already. Um, doesn't mean he's like this high upside guy, but if you're going to be drafting in the second round and want a guy that you think could maybe play right away or could be in a rotation someday or be, you know, whatever you want that player to be, Ben Shepard seems like a guy that that's worth a stab. I mean, he certainly can, can shoot from beyond the arc. And if you have that sort of size and can do that, I think that matters a lot. And, uh, even in the paint, he was 40.7% for mid range, 42% in the paint, 62% at the rim is not great, but like, he's not a bad shooter from anywhere. There's just a lot to like about what he could potentially do, especially if he's going to be there in the 50s as the tankathons. Thing. Tankathons, not, again, not a mock draft. They, they're just aggregating from other places and putting it onto one spot. But, you know, if he's that low or that far back, you know, I would pick him much higher than that. I don't know if I'd quite get it. Eh, he's close to the first round. I think just as a baseline of what he could be, it depends on what your team needs are, or how much you value potential versus floor versus whatever. But those are my names. Those are my names to look out for in both the first and second round. Uh, Tell me if I miss anybody. Other guys I thought about 
talking about here. Omax from Marquette, he was good at the lottery, or excuse me, the draft combine. He's been shooting up some boards. Terquavion Smith, I liked him in the draft last year too. Uh, he just moves so well. He's so fast, right? Speed is something that not every single prospect has. Julian Phillips from Tennessee, super crazy athlete. I think he won most of the athletic things at the Combine. And Jalen Clark from USC. Those are some names that I thought about going in a little deeper on on the show but didn't. Uh, also Leonard Miller, but he's such a high-mocked pick now that it felt like he wouldn't be a part of the sleeper, air quotes, episode. That would be a waste of time. Everybody kind of knows who he is. And Kalibali is getting all sorts of buzz now, so he's also not a sleeper. But those are some other names that I think you should look into as this process gets going. Tomorrow, free agent shooting guard day here at Lockdown Pacers. Why the Pacers would or wouldn't want to sign one. Who could the targets could be, etc. with Tyler Smith. Friday, it's looking at stars with Howard Beck. You guys won't want to miss those shows. Thank you for listening every single day here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Hope everybody had a fantastic day. We will see you tomorrow.